Okay, Song of Songs, chapter 3. Let's open up our Bibles to them. Just open up your Bible halfway, go to the right. As soon as you hit the Psalms, start heading to the right. This is all the kind of the wisdom literature of the Bible. Um, here's the deal. When I was a campus minister, I was a campus minister at Brown University and then went overseas to Kazakhstan and Russia and Kyrgyzstan, then came back and then went to Harvard and BU, not Baylor, but Boston University, um, ministering to college students all over the world. So here's the question. What do you think the number one hurt was in college students all over the world? What was the number one pastoral care? If you were a pastor and you were giving pastoral care to college students all over the world, what was the number one issue that needed to be addressed? What was the number one need in the college student mind and the college student heart? And it was so much the number one need that it was miles ahead of number two. Miles ahead. What do you think it is? The answer, relational pain. Confusion in a relationship, usually it's the DTR kind. You know, where are we? What's going on? What is our relationship? That kind of stuff. Conflict in the relationship, and conflict comes in all shapes and sizes. There is no one set of conflicts. Conflicts are unique, and conflicts are common. But conflicts are a big deal in relationships. Fear in relationships, insecurity in relationships, long distances where there's physical separations from people. There's emotional distances where you're physically present, but emotionally you're distant. There's doubts in relationships. There were love triangles, real or perceived another person involved or seemingly involved or the threat of being involved in a relationship. There was sexual sin in the relationship. There was sexual pain from past relationships brought into this relationship. There's the loss of control in the relationship. There was the rejection in the relationship, and then there was the breakup of the relationship, and then there was the inability to get over the relationship. You get the picture. Number one hurt among college students. So now I'm a church planner, or I, I was a church planner, former church planner, now I've been doing this for 20 years, and so now I've done pastoral ministry of all shapes, all sizes, all kinds of people, all kinds of groups, not just students, all of us. What's the number one hurt, the number one issue, the number one pastoral care ministry to be addressed for us? And it's number one. It's, it's miles ahead of number two. Number two is not even close. For college students, it was relational pain. For pastoral care among churches, and if we were to go to any church in this town, any church in this country, it would be the same thing, guaranteed. Marital pain. Confusion in the marriage, conflict in the marriage, fear in the marriage, insecurity in the marriage, long distances, physical separations in the marriage, emotional distances, physically present, emotionally distant, doubts in the marriage, the threat of another person in the marriage, sexual sin in the marriage, sexual pain brought into the marriage, uh, loss of control in the marriage, separation, betrayal, abandonment, divorce, Marriages wrecked. Love hurts. Please stand for the hearing of God's word.
The reading is from Song of Songs, chapter 3, 1 through 5. On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchman found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated, y'all. So, Lord, we ask that you would speak us back to life again. Would you take this valley, all of us, this valley of dry bones, and would we start hearing <laughs> rattling? Would we start feeling our hearts come back alive? Would we start sensing organs being put back together as you speak? May we come back alive. We ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, everybody knows that song. I can't remember the band, Love Hurts. You remember that band? It's an old one. Love Hurts. Do you remember that? I should just sing it for you, right? Like the whole thing right now, shouldn't I? But Love Hurts, right? Go look it up. It's an old one. Verse 1. Look at verse 1. On my bed by night. The time of, the time of day is no accident here. Night. Song of Songs is a collection of love songs. This one begins at night. In other words, this is a picture of love at night. This is a picture of love in the dark. This is a picture of you all alone on your bed in the dark. Look at the word night. The literal translation goes like this. On my bed by nights. In other words, night is plural. This is night by night. This is a love song. This is about love at night. Jump to verse 5. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem. Does that sound familiar? She's preaching again. She's charging again. She's starting to teach. She wants to teach all the unmarried ladies and unmarried men of Jerusalem. I adjure you. I preach. I teach. I charge you by the gazelles and does of the fields. In other words, remember, we know the does and gazelles of the fields are images in the ancient Near Eastern world of love. So she's charging the things she just said. The things I'm saying about love are said by love itself. I charge you based on what love says that you don't stir it up until it's time. This is two times she says this. Two times she's had this kind of preaching going on. Two times she's had this refrain in these love songs. Two times she says, I'm charging you on the basis of love itself. All these things I just told you between verses 1 through 4, these things about love, I'm telling you on the basis of what love says. In other words, she's saying, I don't care what you say love says. 
I don't care what I say love says, she says. I don't care what your pastor says love says. I don't care what little Johnny sitting next to your little Susie says love says. I don't care what Netflix says love says. I don't care what your psychology textbook says love says. I don't care what your coach says love says. All I care about is what love says. All that matters is what love says about love. So when you put verse 1 and verse 5 together, notice these are bookends. Love at night, love says. When you put these two together, you get love saying, here it is, love is saying this to us in this love song. Love hurts. Since the Song of Songs is a collection of love songs, this is the country song. Right? God is good, fear is great, people are crazy. Why is this so practically important to know? I mean, seriously, why is this even in the Bible? Why do we need to know love hurts? Why, why is this practically so beneficial to you and me to hear this, to have a country love song, a love hurts love song, right in the midst of this incredible statement about love? Here's the answer, because God is saying to you and me, I know love hurts. I know you hurt. And I'm indirectly, because I know this, I'm indirectly inviting you to pray your pain to me. I'm inviting you in this love song, this love hurts love song, I'm inviting you to process your pain with me. Because this is the kind of God I am. He's saying, listen, I'm not the kind of God that makes you carry your burdens. I'm not the kind of God that has you running around bearing things you're not able to bear. I'm the kind of God that is, says, I carry your burdens. I'm the kind of God that bears burdens. I'm a God who carries the load for you. And so what she's doing on her bed at night is she's processing and praying her pain to God. That's what she's doing. She's not stuffing her pain, and she's not surrendering to her pain. She's praying <laughs> her pain. And this text is indirectly saying to each and every one of us, you and I get stuck in relational pain. If you, if you are having relational pain, you will be stuck there for the rest of your life until you pray your pain and process your pain with God. That's a pretty bold thing to say. I can tell you this, that I get up, and my family knows, in the 20 years of doing whatever this is that we've been doing, that I will get up and I will go for runs at 6 in the morning, and I will be on a run and I'll go down and I'll hit chapel and I'll start heading south on chapel, and I will have so much stuff. At six in the morning, I have so much stuff in my head, so much stuff in my heart, so much, at times, pain. And it's just like this, I'm running and I'm going, oh God, I pray this pain blank to you. That's all I'm saying. I don't even believe it works at this point. I don't even know if it works. I just know that I'm like, 
God, I pray this anxiety. God, I pray this hurt. God, I pray this confusion. God, I pray this threat. God, I pray this chaos. God, I pray this uncertainty. God, I feel so out of control over here. And then usually it's, it's right when I get to morning dove and I make a left. It's the weirdest thing. I feel better. Not because anything that I just prayed for went away. It's all still there. But in this dynamic of praying your pain to God, processing your pain to God is so practical because it's who he is. He's the one that carries your burdens, not make you bear them. And we get stuck in our pain when we don't. Some of us are stuck in relational pain right now because we're bearing the burden of it. We're not processing it and praying it to God. And so we say things like, it's all my fault and I blew it, I hurt them, I sabotaged love, I can't fix it, I don't know how to fix it, I don't know what's going on, I'm just a, you know, it's my fault and I'm irreparable and oh, on and on and on we go. I want you to notice the text does not give a specific shade of darkness here. It just says, the night. If it gave you a specific shade, if she would have said, here's my pain, all of us would have fixated on what that pain was, and we would say, oh, it doesn't include me because I don't have that pain. Instead, it says, night. A comprehensive So are you a victim of relational pain? It comprehensively includes you. Are you an agent of relational pain? It comprehensively includes you. If you, like are most people in most relationships, it's a combination of, of being a jerk and receiving jerkitude from somebody else. Comprehensive pain. Pray your pain, God says, because love hurts. Why does love hurt so much, though? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, seriously. I would love to be able to say when love hurts, I don't give a rip about that. I would love to be able to just go like that to love. I would love for love not to hurt. Wouldn't you? I would love to not have to hear another love hurting song on the radio. I would love not to have to watch another love hurting TV program on Netflix or whatever. You're getting tired of them. Can't we go back to the World War II stuff or just some more military documentaries? I wish that would happen more. Why does love hurt so much? Verse 1, on my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. This is unbelievable. She says, him whom I wrote it in my Bible. One, two, three, four. Four times she says, him whom my soul loves. I mean, in the Bible, repetitions are a big deal. Three repetitions in the Bible reaches a cosmic level. Three repetitions in the Bible is Isaiah saying the classic repetition. Holy, holy, holy. Four times. 
If three times goes to a cosmic level, four times is outright crazy land. Crazy land. Him whom my soul loves is a big deal because love involves your soul. In other words, love involves your whole being. Love involves the part of you that thinks, the part of you that feels, the part of you that desires, the part of you that wills, the part of you that relates, the part of you that fears and hopes and dreams and loves and worships, the part of you that lives. Love involves the part of you that you, it's those mysterious parts of your soul and your life that you can't touch. That invisible place that you can't figure out and you can't get into and manage and control and you can't touch. Love involves your soul. So of course it hurts. When you experience an unwanted breakup, of course it feels like death. When you experience marital pain, of course it sucks the life right out of you. When you experience relational pain, of course this is the number one the number one response to relational pain. Of course this is when I'm going to tell you you're going to be like, of course that is. You know what the number one response to relational pain is by all of us across the world, doesn't matter your culture, doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter your age. Guess what it is? You ready? Escapism. Substances, you bet. Entertainment, you bet. Another relationship, you bet. Whatever it is, that's the number one response. And we all know that because we all know that's what we do. In fact, philosopher and mystic Gerald Head or Heard wrote that escapism is not a bad thing. What? <laughs> that's what I said when I read that. What? You're one of those dudes. Because the verb to escape is clear enough. It means to leave a position which has become impossible. Of course love hurts, and it feels impossible when it does. So of course she says in verse 5, I charge you, I charge you by love itself. Don't get your soul involved in love until the proper time, because it So what are we supposed to do when it hurts, though? Okay, it hurts. I get that. Okay. It hurts because my soul's involved. Well, what are we supposed to do? Escape? Verse 1, I sought him. Verse 1 again, I sought him. And we could put again. 
Verse 2, I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. And then there's more in verse 2. I will seek him. I sought him. I searched for him. I looked for him. She's working hard at love. Love is hard work, the text is saying. And then she finally finds him in verse 4. Do you see that? It says, I held him. The better translation is, I seized him. Oh, I seized him. It's like a military seizing a city. She seized him. And then it says, and I would not let him go. She's focused. She's tenacious. She's a warrior. I would not let him go until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. And right there is every man's dream. (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble for that one. But it's in the text. So maybe it's every man's dream because it's an inspired text. I don't know. Just saying. The picture here is not a hookup. The picture here is not casual dating. The picture here is not a consumer relationship. The picture here is not one more person in a serial bunch of relationships. The picture here is an exclusive commitment to someone. The picture here is an exclusive attachment to someone. The picture here is the union of a soul and a body to another soul and another body. In other words, this is a picture of marriage. I mean, she's not taking him to the woods to hook up. In the ancient world, if you were going to hook up, you went to the woods. You could get more privacy. You didn't do it in your house. There's too many eyes, too many people in your house. Married couples had a hard time making love in their house in the ancient world. People went to the woods. She's taking him to her mother's house, marital imagery. She's taking him into her mother's bedroom, marital imagery. She has one goal in mind, to marry this man. Ian Duguid, Song of Songs scholar, says of verse 4, this passage we just looked at, he said, we disconnect sex from commitment and then commitment from relationships, which turns us into consumers of relationships. We are constantly searching for people we can use to serve our interests and meet our needs rather than looking for a single, lifelong, intimate relationship in which we become the committed servant of another with whom our life is utterly and eternally intertwined. Oh, that's so beautiful. Whom our life is utterly and eternally intertwined. He goes on to say, until you are ready to commit to this all-consuming search for the one whom you are going to incorporate into your family and with whom you will build the next generation, you're not ready for love and you're certainly not ready for sex. End quote. So what's the point of all this, y'all? What, I mean, what is the point of this? Here's the point. All that she's doing, she's saying, love says, love constantly seeks the other. Love constantly searches for the other. Love constantly looks for the other. And don't miss this. She already has her man. They're already in a committed, exclusive relationship. They're already moving towards marriage. They're engaged. They've already found each other. But she keeps looking for him. She keeps searching for him. She 
she keeps working hard at the relationship. She keeps loving him. At this point, I keep saying, I keep hearing my wife say, when are we going to listen to the dude? I'm getting tired of listening to her. <laughs> right? Because it feels like all the burden's on you ladies, right? But I think it's worth saying again that this is not a traditional view of gender. And we need to hear that, most of us. This is not a modern view of gender either. The Bible has its own views, and you'll just have to figure them out. It won't be pigeonholed. So what do you do when love hurts? Answer, you work hard at it. Answer, you repeatedly search for the one you love till you find them. And notice, she fails three times. Three times is a perfect number. That means she is the perfect relational failure, but she keeps going. She doesn't stop. She's a warrior. Quick application here. The application is this. Love is a lifelong, life-shaping search for the one you love. You never stop. You get married, you never stop searching and looking for the one you love. When you're somewhere in that trying to figure out if this is the one, you don't stop. Love, true love is a lifelong, life-shaping search for the one you love amidst endless failures. So love relationships are never static. They never stand still. Love relationships are always moving. They're always going somewhere. So you're either moving towards intimacy or you're moving towards loneliness in your relationships. You're either moving towards being a good teammate or a bad teammate in your relationships. You're either moving towards unity or disunity and division. You're either moving towards being best friends and lovers or roommates. You're either moving towards spouses or a pseudo-spouse. But you're moving, this text says. So the question is, and this is not mine, this was actually, I think this was Ian Duguid. He said, he says in his commentary, which is kind of weird because it's a commentary, he turned around and like got all personal on everybody. He goes, how active are you in your marriage? How active are you with the children you're parenting? How active are you with your friendships and building community in the church? How, I mean, we could just keep going on and on and on like this. So what do you do when love hurts? You work hard at it. You repeatedly search for the one you love until you find them amidst endless failures. Okay, did you notice how she finds him, though? This is really exciting. This is, like, breathtaking. Look at verse 3 and 4. Ironically, the watchmen, the watchmen are the police that are on patrol at night in the city. Ironically, the watchmen find her, but they don't find him. Isn't that strange? Maybe it's because she's hollering, where are you? I don't know. It says, the watchman found me as they, this is the verse, the watchman found me as they went about the city, so she says to the police, have you seen him whom my soul loves? <laughs> and they're like, who? 
And what are you doing out here at night? I mean, for an ancient Near Eastern young lady to be out on the streets of the city at night is scandalous. Oh, we know who you are, lady. Yeah, who are you calling for? What are their names? They haven't seen him. So what happens next? This is, this is unbelievable. What happens next? He just shows up out of nowhere. She doesn't find him. The police don't find him. Ultimately, it's a mystery. Ultimately, it's unexplainable. Ultimately, it's unexpected. Ultimately, it's completely surprising. And those of you that have been those of you that have gone through the leadership training course, those who have been trained to be leaders, elders, uh, pastors, apprentices, you know what I'm about ready to say. And all the leadership training that I do, I have this, this section on how to read your Bible. I have this section on, okay, do you want to read your Bible like Jesus did? Do you want to read your Bible like the Apostle Paul, like the New Testament writers? And we have a training course on how to do that. In the manual, straight from the manual, I say this. The unexpected, the unusual surprises... The out-of-place details, the questions that provoke you in the text. Are great places for the deepest meaning to hide. In wisdom literature of the Bible, which the Song of Songs is, mystery, the unexplainable, the surprising, the unexpected, is where God is. It's where God shows up. It's where God's at work. Ultimately, she finds him. Ultimately, he finds her. Ultimately, you find your spouse. Ultimately, your spouse finds you. Ultimately, all love is found at all because of God. So trust God with your boyfriend. Trust God with your husband. Trust God with your wife. Trust God with your child. Trust God with your parent. Trust God with your friend. Trust God with your neighbor. Trust God in your relational pain. Trust God when love hurts. Because love is found because of God. Period. So love says some things to us, and this this is a this is a preacher preaching on love through a love song, a country song on love, right? So love says, first thing it says is love hurts. It happens in the dark. This is love at night. So what do you do? Pray your pain. Pray your hurt. The text says. Love says, of course love hurts. Because your soul's involved. What did you think was involved? With a little sarcasm, just like that, a shake of the head. Love says, when love hurts, work hard at it. Repeatedly 
Search for the one you love till you find them amidst endless failures. Love says ultimately love is found because of God. So trust God with your relationships. And then there's one last thing that love says. Did you see it? There's one last character we haven't looked at. There's one last refrain that love says. And it says it to all who are like the man. Lost. Love says, I always find the lost. Love says, I go out at night in the darkest places to find the lost. Love says, I don't stop. I don't quit. I never will till I find the lost. Love says, I love the lost again and again and again and again and again and again. Love says, just ask Jesus. <laughs>